Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today. I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows, and it makes the algorithm gods happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and art lovers. A lot of great stuff there. On the website, you'll see you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive $2,000. You can buy affordable original contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press. And you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So be sure to check out our website today for all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. Okay, people, today we got a hot one. We got the one and only Jimmy Smith from Amusement Park Entertainment. I mean, if you guys don't know Jimmy, I'll tell you what, you better, you got to listen to this episode. This guy is a straight up advertising legend. He's been in the game since 1985. I mean, his career essentially was started working on the Nike Just Do It campaign from the get-go. I mean, he worked on all that award-winning advertising. He's worked at some of the top agencies in the world, including White and Kennedy. Um, this guy is a creative genius, without a doubt. Fast Company called him in 2012, one of the top 100 most creative people. He's been honored by the One Club for Creativity, where he's a board member. I mean, this guy, his CV looks like, you know, like, like a hyphenated uh, legend. I mean, entrepreneur, environmentalist, creative director, author, video game creator, producer, TV, film, music. I mean, his work has been recognized for his fresh approach to advertising. I mean, he's, you know, won awards at The One Show, at Cannes, Clio, Smithsonian. I mean, Time Magazine's recognized him. I and mean, what else can I say? His, his work for ESPN. He's been, I think, nominated for an Emmy for his work with Gatorade Replay. I mean, I could go on and on. This guy's a legend. I don't know what he's doing here hanging out with me, but I tell you what, I am so grateful because he's classing up the joint. He's making us smarter and wiser because he's dropping gems of knowledge and wisdom in today's conversation. I, I was so appreciative of him coming down and hanging with me and talking about all the great stuff he's doing. You got to check him out. You got to listen to this. I mean, his company, Amusement Park Entertainment, is doing all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, check this out. One of his clients is Stride Gum, Okay. In terms of launching that brand back in, I think it was 2016, he got world-renowned skydiver Luke Alkins to jump from 25,000 feet out of a plane with no parachute and no wingsuit. Nothing but the clothes on his back. He got that guy to jump out and he landed safely in a net. It was a Guinness World Record. I mean, this guy's ideas are just off the chart. I mean, big ideas, but a bigger heart. I tell you what, I'm so grateful to have Jimmy Smith in the house with us today. So without further ado, let's get into this and hear from the one and only Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith, you are classing up the joint, brother. I'm so glad you came through today. 
No, happy to be here, man. Always dope to do interviews with with dope cats. So I'm down, man. Oh, oh, dude, that's an honor. It's all honors all mine. But I tell you what, you join a group of dope guests because your boy Scott Bedberry was a guest uh, not too long ago. Scotty, (laughs) that's my man. Between him and Joe Muse, they really, you know, that's what led to me working on Nike. Scott was the head of Nike advertising at the time. And, and Joe had a sliver of the Nike account at Muse Cordero Chin. So that really, that was like a huge blessing to be able to work on Nike. I mean, everybody would say that, but especially being a, a black dude in the business where there aren't that many, I could be who I was and just not worry about what's black about it, what's not black about it, just do be true to the sport. So it was huge. And it was Nike back in the day, like when it was just like the Just Do It campaign was like getting off the ground and whatnot. I mean, it wasn't like you were working on Nike yesterday. This was back with some OG stuff going on. This is OG. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Hair Jordan, which led to Space Jam, had not come out yet. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about, uh, yeah, I started working on it in 91. That's incredible. And what of, of all the brands and all the campaigns all the time, to, to be a part of a brand campaign. I mean, that without it doesn't get any bigger than that. I mean, really. Hey, it was a blessed, <laughs> it was a blessed time to be a copywriter. That's for Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, shout out to executives like Scott Bedberry, right, who also had the courage and the guts to do the right thing. You know, do the right thing. Just do it. I mean, at the end of the day, like, like thank goodness that Scott was able to get that done because how many brands out there don't have that kind of courage to really speak truth to the to the people you know you know the crazy thing that because after i when i was at fcb and that was back in the day they've changed they got a a new global head of creative over there well she's been there for a minute but now she's the chairwoman i'm susan cradle and she's um, from a creative standpoint has really turned fcb around but when i was there it was foot cone and building and that was not the place to be <laughs> and so to meet a cat like a client, like we literally had these meetings when I was at uh, Foucault and Belding. They come in, they all had their suit uniforms, you know, the wingtips. You from the you from Chicago, so you know you from the Midwest. They come in with the a certain color suit. Oh yeah, type of shoes. And, Serious. And, and it was like <laughs> they were not veering off the path at all. And then you come up with a client like Scott and, you know, it's a white cat and he's a white cat from Oregon. And I don't know how he did it, how he does it to this day, but he gets it. It may not be from the culture, but he knew that he needed that from the culture. It was a beautiful time. And then on top of that, you got Joe Muse who's getting inducted into the AAF, AAF Hall of Fame. So between those dudes... And, you know, obviously with Wyden and Kennedy, before I got into Wyden and Kennedy, what they were laying down, Dan Wyden, Jim Riswald, and all those cats, Susan Hoffman, what they were laying down helped me to get to where I am today. If it wasn't for those three components, wouldn't be here. Yeah, man. And that that speaks so, you know, that's that, that speaks so loudly, right, about, you know, the colleagues that we have, the mentors that we have, the clients that we have. I mean, they're all, they're, you know, it's like not all created equal at all. But at the end of the day, like to the extent that you can align yourself with those leaders, with those visionaries, with those courageous uh, innovators, that's what you got to do out there. That's what it takes to be successful because, you know, you lie with dogs, you get fleas, right? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yep. Yep. That is for show. But the knuckleheads are important. You you, got to be thankful for, for the knuckleheads. Um, I, I remember, I think it was Phil Jackson said something. He didn't call them knuckleheads, but somewhere, you know, <laughs> you got to respect the opponent. Yeah. You know, the opponent is going to help you to become who you want to become, who you were meant to be, who God put you on earth to do your thing. And so you, you have to, it's hard, super mad hard. Obviously, if and when I say it's easy for me to say in this type, you know, situation, nobody was trying to kill me maybe kill my career, but at least not me physically. So that's a different type. But in this context, the racism, 
the people who didn't understand creative from a hill of beans, even though they were supposed to be a creative director, all of those elements, they can either, you know, well, you know, I was from the school where I'm going to show them. I'm, you know, mom and dad taught me that I'm, I'm going to take it up a notch. Oh, you think this, so I'm going to take it up a notch. And I'm not came from the school where you don't give up, you don't quit, you don't understand that terminology of quitting. So all they did was it was kind of like, you know, it was like when the Pistons used to beat up Michael, <laughs> Michael Jordan. I'm not saying I'm Michael Jordan, but, you know, they, they made a, he, Woo, he, those games were tough, right? man. Those are tough. I was at a couple of them. <laughs> he, he'd go back in the off season, work on his game, come back, boom. And everybody that is of note, you have to go through the fire. So I'm thankful to the, as Lee Cloud would call him, the nincompoop forest. <laughs> that Nika from first. Well, because, you know, you were talking about the opponents. You got to respect your opponents. I mean, because at the end of the day, you know, fundamentally, our big one of our biggest opponents is stat is the status quo. Right. Because like that's everybody wants to keep their job. Nobody wants to rock the boat. Now, let's not take too much of a risk here. Let's maintain the status quo. And that is a killer for innovation and for creativity, creative vision. You know, you know. There's is is really interesting, but that's the thing that it, it's it's weird. So like the highest paid people more often than not are the givers. So let's take football for example. For the most part, the quarterback does what? He gives the ball to the running back. He gives the ball to the receiver. He gives the ball to the tight end. Rarely, unless you're of the ilk of Lamar Jackson, are you running quarterback, right? You give. Tom Brady, that's all he's done all his life. He ain't running nowhere. He's <laughs> giving the ball. He's got seven Super Bowls and is considered the greatest um, quarterback in the history of the game. Even with Tyreek Hill, Tyreek isn't paid on the level of Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers and whatever. It's, so he's a receiver, literally and figuratively. So when you're focused on what am I going to get? 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 It makes you conservative and not seeing the forest for the trees and whatever, where you can't see the very thing that you want in, in their case is comfort of money. They can't see oftentimes a thing that's going to give them exactly what they want. This big idea right here is going to send your career to the moon. And you're going to have what you want. But they go like that. I can't tell you how many folks, I mean, have ended up running companies, being CMO, global CMOs, who, when I worked with them, they were on the Nike account and they did XYZ on the client side from Nike. And they take that and they're off. Same thing with the Gatorade folks and so on and so forth. You do great work. You do great creative things. You're bold, you're brave and whatever. MJ, and I'll shut up after this, like MJ, nobody remembers the shots that he, oh, you remember he missed that shot? And, 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 and that's what that famous ad did. I think Jamie Barrett did that one. He was the writer at Wyden and Kennedy. And nobody remembers the misses. And it's amazing that we're a culture of sports. Do, who gets rewarded? It's the one in, in whatever the sport. Rarely is it the guy who's afraid to take yeah. the last second and, shot. And it's fa- yeah, it's fascinating too, because right, we celebrate... On one level, you know, we point to the Steve Jobs, we point to the Elon Musks, we point to the Steven Spielbergs as visionary heroes, but then you don't know one when it's sitting in front of you. You know, it's like, it's like you say you want it, but then when it's, when it's presented to you, you don't recognize it and you say no, because it's too much of a risk. I had this one potential client. They ended up not being a client. It wasn't Nike. It was an athletic brand. They were on the phone. They said, our favorite ad is is Nike Freestyle. That's our all-time favorite. That's my favorite. That's, uh, and they're going out and say, oh, this is going to be a breeze. And, you know, <laughs> we're coming from the same place and whatever. They appreciate what I did with Nike Freestyle. So this will be a snap. We want stuff like that. So like you said, <laughs> we were giving it to them and better because that was done in 20, 2001. So we're giving them the next generation of, you know, where it should go. Couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. It was like laid out in front of them. And it was, it, it blew me away. It was, it was amazing. I said, why did you bring us on? 
and that's your favorite of all time, but you don't want the man and the team that did the favorite of all time for you to do what they do. It's crazy. So like, It's like, oh, I'm so thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I need water. Bring, bring me water. Oh, 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 okay. No problem. We got the best water right here for you. Here, just take. Oh, no, no, I don't want that water. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. Part of it is too, Scott, we talked about this before. The way they teach you to do this business, the creative business, is to do new. When you're taking your classes in school and whatever and whatnot, they're teaching you, trying to get you to do something new that hasn't been done before. And that's what you're shooting for. That's the holy grail. What I've learned is uh, obviously what we've been talking about. They don't really want new, but they teach you to do new. And then the other part of it is if it's hard for somebody, if they haven't seen it before, to give it to understand what they're looking at, because it's, it's freaking new. Even as a creator, you, you'll do something that is new and you're like, mm, is that any good? Man, well, I don't know. And you go back, talk about it, talk about it with the team. And, uh, I don't know. But it's like the color blue. We talked about this before. Blue didn't exist as a word. There was no word for blue back in the BC days. No word for it in the, in the early days. That I think that they said when I read this article, the first showing of the color blue was in Egypt. The Egyptians back in the uh, you know Ramses and whenever that was. But that was basically the only nation that had a word and actually identified blue. You're sitting up there. Well, what did you call sky? What did you call the ocean? And most of the time they would call it the black sea, or even though they didn't mean that's the color of it, that's just what they called it. And that was deep to me. And, and, and so how do you identify something you have no context for? Like when you read Revelations, if you ever read Revelations in the, in the Bible, it's like, what are they talking about? <laughs> right. And they're identifying something and you're going, sometimes you go, well, man, that might be, they called it a locust, but it's a fire-breathing locust. Is that a helicopter? But they didn't have a word in the BC, you know, it was early first century. They don't have a word for helicopter. It looks like a locust. And you think yeah. about a helicopter, it's like, yeah. So when you're showing somebody something new, you need to be prepared. Matter of fact, I use that as a benchmark. I, I use that. If, if I present something to somebody and they go immediately off the bat, a client, I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Uh, wonder is that is that really any good? <laughs> it should bring a little a level of concern for a non-creative person. If you're dealing with creative people, then that's different. But for non-creatives, most of them are on the brand side. Mm, and they loving this too much. We may not have broken any new ground. <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you say that. I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a movie producer. His name's Jeff Tremaine, and he's famous for the Jackass series of movies, <laughs> okay? And he just did, a, his son and my daughter go to school together. The new Jackass movie just came out, right? And so he did a private screening for like all the parents, you know, or whatever. So we go, you know, check the movie out. I was talking to him. I'm like, so man, I mean, how you feeling? You know, he's like, oh man. He's like, I don't know about this one. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, the critics like it. He goes, that can't be good. <laughs> it's like, I'm not, I don't think I'm punk rock anymore, man. If the critics like it, you know, and <laughs> how do you know you're still pushing that envelope? How do you know you're still ruffling those feathers? Because as creators, as artists, right? I mean, that's ho hopefully what we want to do. We're about revolution, not evolution. That's what you're about. And, you know, think about the high jump. There was one way they used to high jump. They jump like this, you know right leg over if you're if right-handed over and then here comes Fosbury the Fosbury flop or whatever his name is I think it was it's the five and he starts jumping backwards right it's like right what are you doing dude that's not the way you do it Steph Curry starts shooting from half court like what are you doing you're shooting you know and then there's Kareem with the sky hook what's amazing with Kareem is nobody Nobody does the sky hook. You're talking about an innovate. He innovated. Everybody else is like, I guess they're afraid of it. It's like, I ain't, 
<laughs> yeah, we'll let him have that. That's, that's sacred. Oh man, you know it's funny because I and, and you know you and I, I love I love when we get together. And we talk because you know we we just can go and go. You know, and it and it's funny because I mean, while you came up in advertising, I came up more on the kind of what we'll call brand strategy side, brand identity, brand packaging, that kind of thing. And so, you know, a lot of times, you know, we would be, you know, working on something and, you know, your heart's in it, man, right? I mean, your heart and your soul, like you're just trying to deliver, you know, the best of the best to your client. And of course, for those times, and it happens often, more times than we care to admit, but, you know, a lot of times the clients, you know, they just don't get it. They don't see it. They pass, you know, or maybe you don't get the gig or whatever it is. And of course, as creatives, when you're on the agency side, you just get in your own head. It's depressing, man. You're just like, what? You know, like you just, it's personal, you know, it's just like, what is, cause you just want the best for the brand and for the, for the people, for the company. It's very easy to make it about you and the work and the team or whatever. Well, when I met Scott, I met Scott Bedberry because I had jumped over to the client side, okay, at Kaiser Permanente, right? And then I was on the, and so what KP had done was they were building kind of an internal agency. And so we were part of this team and I met Scott as a result of it. You know, KP's huge, right? KP's a massive organization. I mean, you know, it's like $80 billion company now, but I mean, at that time, I think we were 60 billion. We had, yeah, just 60 billion and we had, you know, 9 million members and we had 30,000 nurses and 15,000 doctors. I mean, it's just massive. Right. And I was on the client side for the first time I was, you know, in the belly of the beast on the client side. And I ended up, I thought I'd be there a year or two. We ended up, I ended up staying there like seven years, did great work, worked at to this day. Some of my most proud, I'm most proud of, of, of this. A lot of this work we did together. Of course, Scott was there the whole time, but here's the thing I learned. And I was telling a buddy of mine this at the time because he was still on the agency side. He was frustrated with his clients and everything. And one of the things I observed being on the client side is like, I was like, man, you know what I learned here is that I understand now that in the corporate world, when you're in the belly of the beast like this, you really see how the sausage gets made. And let me tell you, nine times out of 10, if you don't get the gig or if there's it like it has nothing to do with you or the creative or the team, it's it's some other reason that you can't even imagine. It comes out of nowhere. You know, it could be politics. It could be budgetary. It could be just, you know, somebody woke up, you know, with a hangnail. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it could be any number of things and it has nothing to do with you. It's just crazy, man. The whole corporate culture thing. I got an example of one of those. So this is before I opened up my the company that I have now, Amusement Park Entertainment. So we're working on, we're going to open up this company. We're going to call it Smoke Signals. It's my wife's name, so we call it Smoke Signals. Love, love that. I, I love that name. Yeah. Me and my buddy, Ed Collins, who I work with now at Amusement Park Entertainment, we get a call to pitch this brand. Not the entire thing, uh, you know, pocket of it for NBA All-Star. And so we brought on my brother, who's a Tony Award winning poet, and he's a writer for AP. And we bring him on and at the presentation, he performed his poem wrapped around this idea we had for the brand. They're crying, Scott. They're crying. They're tears. Everybody in the room on the client side, bawling. Oh, this, is, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And we got, after our presentation, we got a standing up. I've never had it still to this day. And I've been in this business, what, since 85, clapping, standing up, beautiful. And I'm going, whoa, we got this. So we're hot. We don't even need an airplane to fly back home. We're all good. They call us on the phone. The person running it, right, calls us on the phone and said, you guys got it. It was a unanimous decision. You got, yes, yes, we're opening up smoke signals. Agency, yeah, right on. I don't know. Two days later, <laughs> we're we're like, okay, well, you know, the All Star NBA All Star is coming up, so we need to get cranking if we're gonna make, you know, we're gonna make that deadline. Didn't hear anything. Little radio silence. I don't know. Day three, whenever it was, it was you know, it wasn't long after the meeting. Get the call. The other agency called up the CEO 
of the company and they put a kibosh on everything. <laughs> now, you got to understand, Scott, the agency didn't want to do this particular part of the business. They didn't want to do it. They bought, no, we aren't going to pitch. We aren't going to pitch. We don't want to do it. We're, we're fine. You guys go find somebody. They just didn't know they were going to find me to do it. So <laughs> he made that call to the CEO and that was it. And so, like you said, had nothing to do with anything on what we presented. Obviously, we, we got standing up. We got tears. I can't, we can't do no more. Like comedian, this one comedian. I can't do no more. <laughs> but, you know, but part of what we're getting at is, and we can think of like so many examples of how creatives and creative and, and, and artists, designers, creators, the battle that we have, you know, in, in bringing our visions to life. And it doesn't even matter. But what I'm getting at is whether you're creative artist, design, like, you know, like, like the, the struggles that we go through to, you know, bring our visions to life and to help other people, you know, be more creative or be better or do something interesting. And you can think of, you know, I can think of countless examples of the bait and switch, right? Of, you know, it's like, uh, you know, one person sells it and then the other person does it or whatever. And, you know, the, the, the point I'm trying to get at is that, you know, it's the nature of the beast. And what the part of what I'm getting at too, is that I just want artists and creatives and designers and creators out there listening to this podcast right now. I want them to, to know that they're not alone, that this shit happens. You know what I mean? This is the Nate, this is the par for the course. And our job is to keep trucking, keep moving, keep going. You know, I was speaking on a panel years ago. It was an art licensing panel at Surtex, which is the largest art licensing trade show there in uh, New York at Javits. And I was on this panel and this artist designer raises her hand and she says, what if a client or a brand, you know, steals my idea? Like, well, how can I protect my idea? You know? And I said, well, you want to look into registering your work and, you know, and these are the things that you, you can do to protect yourselves. And then I said, but, but so what? And she's like, excuse me? I said, so what if they steal your idea? And she's like, well, but it's my idea. I'm like, but here's the thing. You're the artist and you're going to have 10 more brilliant ideas today, tomorrow. They're stealing your idea because they can't come up. They, they can't come up with these ideas, but they have to steal them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Take heart, right? Take heart, my brothers and sisters, because as creatives, as artists, we're, we're magicians. We're pulling rabbits out of hats. It's what we do. Yeah. I, yeah. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me why I'm wrong. You know, maybe it's from the school being an African-American and we weren't allowed to own things. And then we go off and own things like Black Wall Street and it's a thriving community in Oklahoma. And, and the whites in that community just came and razzed it, even dropped bombs on them with World War I planes or right. Bruce's Beach. He had this beautiful, he said, okay, I'm, I'm buying into the system here, how things go. Let me, I got this idea, this vision to have a hotel for blacks on in Manhattan Beach. And they just took the hotel from him. And so maybe I'm coming from that world where like it's important to own. When Barry yes. Gordy sold Motown, I was crushed. I said, oh, dude, I mean, that's, that's, that's the only black owned record label. You selling Motown? Motown. Right. And right. then my man Al Bell had to sell Stax Records. You know, with the staple singers and yeah, uh, Isaac Hayes and all that kind of stuff. And I won't get you have to have him on here. He can tell you what, what went down there where he had to sell. It wasn't something he wanted to do. Same thing with Barry. They don't know the inside story. It wasn't something he wanted to do. And then the, um, the Black Godfather, Clarence Avant, owns all types of music libraries. And then when MJ came along, Michael Jackson and, and, and bought the Beatles. You have to treat an idea as precious as all get out. It's like this. It's like this, Scott. Dan Marino. How many Super Bowls did he go to? Oh, man. Now you're testing my trivia. Not many. <laughs> one. Right, With the right. one Super Bowl. Yeah. Didn't win it. And he's like, hey, he's young. This is his second year or whatever year it was for him. He'll be back. Never came back again. You do not know if you're going to get that idea 
that you own may pay for your family and your family's family, 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 family for generations. Ideas are valuable. They, they have extreme power. The idea of freedom, that idea that has, that was an idea that, that has power that has resonated for a bazillion years, right? So no, I, I, I remember we created this thing for Nike called me and my art director partner, Andy Fackrell. And so to you, to the woman that was talking to you, so I was at Nike, this is it, 2002. So we're doing the follow-up campaign, the Nike Freestyle. Me and Andy sitting up there, and we come up with a fictional ABA team called the Roswell Ray Guns. And, you know, we knew it was dope, but we didn't know, it's like Web3. What can Web3 become? Everybody's telling you it can. it's going to change the world and whatever and whatever and whatnot, right? We didn't know that. All we knew is we got something dope right now. I begged the Roswell Reagan campaign is with Vince Carter when he was Dr. Funk. He joins the ABA team. I had Parliament Funkadelic, my boy Bootsy and George Clinton in it. And Alan, the Hughes brothers directed it. And it was a monster success. So I'm begging Nike to make the jerseys, man. Come on, make the jerseys. People want the jerseys. I'm telling you, it'll blow up. It'll blow up. Now I'm telling you, it's going to be huge. They got so tired of me, they went ahead and just made 500 of them just to shut me up. They sold out like that in a nanosecond. And that was in 2002. If you go in online now, type in Nike Roswell Ray Guns. Last year in 2021, at the end, at the tail end of 2020 and all of 2021, shoes, multiple shoes, Kyrie Irving shoes, the Air Force Ones, they brought back the Air Raids. Chuck Taylors did it, which Nike owns Chuck Taylors. Jerseys, black jersey, white jersey, shorts. Kid it out. Everything you can make. The basketball, Roswell Ray Guns. I don't get a nickel off of any of that stuff. I have not come up with that particular in that zone of idea. I got other ones that if I can get somebody to do it, they'll be huge and whatever, whatever. My point is, I haven't sold those other ideas yet, but that one I sold. And if I had a deal with that where we owned a percentage or whatever, whatnot, not only would Nike have made a bazillion dollars, they wouldn't have had to wait, what, 20 years <laughs> before they came back to it. But you know what, what, what you're saying is so, is so important, but I also want to put it in context too, because for years and years, the business model, the agency client kind of dynamic was work for hire, pay, you know, fee for service. Like, and, and that was this idea, right. That you could, that, that it's your IP, that you own it and that the client is going to license it from you or, or you're going to co-own it or whatever. It's interesting because it feels like that kind of business model was something that was, is fairly new. It's like seemed to be happening over the last say 20, 25 years, but prior to, I don't know, 90s. Like, I don't think that, that was, was that happening a lot in the advertising space? It's actually an old idea. Okay. Some knucklehead, and you know it had to be a suit. I can't prove it. But you know it, it was a suit that, that ruined it. But if you go if you um, go online and look up the history of I Like to Teach the World to Sing, which was done for Coca-Cola, Bill Backer and three other dudes, one of them, Black Cat, actually wrote that song, went to number three on the charts, obviously used in the iconic Coca-Cola commercial. They actually co-owned that song. That was in, what? when was did that come out? Was it 69, 70, somewhere yeah, around there? Yeah, they yeah. actually co-owned that joint. And then you, you will remember this. Remember an advertising character called Vern? Yo, Vern? Yes. Remember that? Right, yeah. The agency owned that. I don't know if you remember, like he would do, you'd be sitting up, he's doing milk commercials. Oh, he's doing right, you know, right, milk. Right. Next thing you know, he's doing some other, for some other brand. The agency owned that character and they would just take Vern, <laughs> the character, and they sell Hip him out. different <laughs> uh, brands. And they yeah, yeah. So somewhere along the way, I don't know why, somebody got upset and whatever, and, and they put the kibosh on that. Now it's making a comeback. So like amusement park entertainment, we co-own with the brand, whatever it is that we're doing. And it benefits you because the brand doesn't know how to exploit 
oftentimes they know how to exploit what their product is. But for instance, if you're doing, I'm making using this as an example, if you're doing an NFT and the brand's not in the NFT business, they're in the you know milk bottle or water business, and that's where their focus is. Well, why not make a bazillion dollars off of the NFT? But they aren't thinking like that. But the agency, the creators of that idea can bring in incremental revenue to what your product sells. And what all it is is an ad for, you know, that NFT is an ad for whatever your product is. I'm just, there's a whole host of things, video games, whatever, whatever, movies, music that you can do. So for instance, with JBL, we created this thing called Bigger Than Us with Dame Lillard. And Dame raps. And at the time, Dame was a, a JBL client. That piece of music, you know, you can look it up on now, millions of views and whatever, what, but it was a song. It was a song that you can actually download. So they sold product and then they have the, the, the song. And every time you play that song, he's, he's rocking the JBL headphones and whatnot. And so it's in the, in the music video. So it's an ad. That's a song that you can buy, but also obviously benefits the brand. And sales increased for JBL during that time by 47%. Yeah, I love that story because, I mean, it sort of gets to this idea like, listen, if you're going to be, if you're a brand and, and you want to be traditional, conventional and boring about it, you know, okay, yeah, you know, put out an ad or whatever the case, but here's the deal. People can skip the ad, they can fast forward the ad, they can click through, whatever they're going to do. But when you're making culture- it's like night and day. Night and day. Night and day. I wish Nike Freestyle had come out now with social media, with NFTs and whatever, whatever. That would have been nuts. But And that's and you bring up an excellent point, which is something Bedberry got, Lee Cloud gets, Dan Wyden, David Kennedy, David Lubars. They're these unique, special folks who actually get it. If I'm making, I didn't understand it when I, um, first, first time I talked to Dan Wyden, he's talking about, he hates advertising. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? This is before I was working. Right? <laughs> We're in that advertising business. And I didn't get it until I got in there and started working. I was there for over 10 years and it was like, oh, we aren't doing ads because what do you do on an ad? Ah, I gotta go. I gotta go pee. I gotta go make a sandwich. Let me go handle this and what I'll, as soon as that ad block is done, I'll be back and sit down and watch whatever. But if it's a piece of culture that resonates like that, I'm not going anywhere. I'm interacting with whatever that thing is. I don't want to see it just one time and then the commercial is gone. I'm going to YouTube or if it's a movie, I'm going to watch Space Jam. Space Jam is just a big giant ad campaign and Lego movies. Star Wars, I'm sure they make more money off the video games, off the T-shirts and whatever, whatever than you do off the actual movie. They're large advertising platforms. And if you can catch that wave, create that wave and then ride that wave, it lives until Jesus comes. Because, I mean, we did Heaven Sent where the guy jumped out of a plane with no parachute, no wingsuit. That was on a TV show live on Fox. But you can go online and see the jump. And the dude's got a big stride gum S on his shirt. And I don't know how many videos that have been posted on YouTube, you know, when he was on AB, when Luke Akins, when he was on ABC, when he's on NBC, whatever, 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 millions of views that is always there until YouTube doesn't exist anymore. So you're still getting the ad as opposed to a 30 second spot that I don't watch anymore and I'm done. And by the way, that campaign, of course, inspired Red Bull to level up and have a dude jump from space. It was the reverse. It was the reverse. They, they did that one where he jumped from space, which was not new, by the way. It was done in 1970. They, okay. He went a little higher than him. Obviously, I'm protective. <laughs> I'm <biased. laughs> Please. Luke had no parachute. My man in space had a space suit and a parachute. Dope event. Ridiculously dope. Not knocking that at all. But the difference was Luke had nothing. If he misses the net, done from five Man, miles I up. mean, like, did you pitch him that idea? Or did he come to you? Like, how did that really, how do you get somebody to actually agree to jump out of a plane with no parachute? <laughs> Started with Fox. Started with Fox. 
and we presented some ideas. Eh, 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 whatever, you know. But we're looking for stunts. Do you got any stunt ideas? Well, Lando walking across the Grand Canyon. You got anything like that? And I was big time Evil Knievel fan. You, you and me both, brother. Glued, glued yeah. to the TV. <laughs> during, so I said, oh, we, we could do that. So I have a, a good buddy, good family friend. This dude, his name is Chris Talley. And he has this thing called Precision Food Works. He's a scientist when it comes to nutrition. Off the charts. Anybody should look him up and go check him out. Anyway, I knew exactly who to go to because he used to work for our, our space program. And I knew he worked with Navy SEALs and all that kind of stuff. So I called him up. He's an aerospace physiologist. I said, dude, Chris, you got any stunt ideas? He said, well, what, what do you need? I give him the scenario. He said, give me a couple of days. So he comes to the office. <laughs> and he, he named, he had five ideas. And I think it was idea number two was the guy jumping without a parachute. And I said, that's it. That's it. That's it. We'll, 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 let's do that. So, he's, so he goes, I know exactly the guy to do it. I said, I, I remember laughing, Scott. I was like, it's a great idea, Chris, but who the hell are we going to get to jump out of a plane <laughs> with nothing? <laughs> and, and he goes, I know exactly the guy, Luke Akins. Luke trained Felix Baumgartner, who jumped out from the edge of space. He Got it. Trained Got and it. Okay. At the time, Luke had, I mean, um, Felix had vertigo. Like he, he was he was getting freaked out about it. They hooked him up with Dr. Michael Gervais, who's always also a great friend, and he worked on Heaven Sent. Chris goes, Luke is the guy. So we get on the phone with Luke. We're talking to Luke and we say, hey man. <laughs> We're thinking, what you think about this idea? We, we'd like for you, and we explained it to him. And he's like, so no parachute, no? So you guys think, yeah, I mean, no wingsuit? No, 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 man, just the clothes on your back. And, and we talked to him for about 30 minutes, and he goes, well, I'm not your guy, but I can, you know, I can train the guy to do it. I can find the guy, and I'll train him and whatever. And we kept talking a little while longer, and Chris is telling him this and that. And by the end of that conversation, he goes, well, look, I know I said I'm not the guy. But let me let me, you know, let me think about it. Let me talk to my wife and let me think about it. And that's he came back a couple of days later and he said, I'll do it. So <laughs> I'm your Huckleberry. I'll jump out on playing with nothing. <laughs> that's how we were talking about the beginning of this conversation. Ideas. That people think are impossible. Like Joe Muse, his thing that I carry with me to this day. Think the unthinkable, do the undoable, and above all, make the motherfuckers sweat. That's Joe Muse's. We, we, when I worked at Muscadero Chin, we had to, brought in some graffiti artists. We had it spray painted on the wall. That was a make you sweat idea. And it, you, I would have thought that was impossible. I, I re before Chris, I said, Chris, can you really do that? And I'm trusting him because he's an aerospace physiologist. When we went through that process, Scott, at the end of it, you would have been like this too. You said, you know what? I mean, if I trained in a pinch, you know, my life depended on it, I would probably go splat, but I could, I wouldn't be necessarily shocked. Once you understand the physics, the math, and you would have had to go through year, I mean, freaking Luke. I mean, he had at that time, he had like 18,000 jumps at that time. He I was mean, already world class. He was, exactly. he, yeah, yeah, so he's a yeah. world class dude. So so look at it like Michael Jordan. We aren't Michael Jordan. And maybe if I train enough, I might be able to out of out of a thousand times, I might be able to get a dunk down if I train. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, Yes. I would have died if I would have done it, but I, I, by the time I, I understood, wow, that can actually, actually be done. So you don't know. There's a trillion, trillion, trillion times a trillion things that you think are impossible, but it just takes that person who has that spark who goes, actually, we might be able to do that. It just takes that that light bulb said, well, well, hold on now. So when we, you should have been in the room when we show it to clients. 
<laughs> they're like, they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> and even Fox, after they asked for it, this is what you asked for. So we go back a, a couple weeks, like, hey, we got it. And we and we even brought in Chris, we brought in Luke, and they got tight. They got what start sweating. <laughs> I know we asked for it, but I didn't think you were actually actually gonna bring it to us. I don't know. It was pretty funny, but I can't tell you how many times. Okay, okay. So he's gonna have the the hidden parachute on his back, right? So and, and they keep going and say, no, wait, hold on, hold on. No, no, it's no parachute. Oh, okay. So, so the wingsuit when he, you know, when he this dude, <laughs> this person could die. Like this is what we're saying. <laughs> so you talk about that one. I thought the idea behind that one, on top of doing some great Guinness Book of World Record and so on and so forth. On top of that, it was making the having people believe that anything is possible. Yeah, I know. I do want to emphasize that for people listening right now, because I mean, think about what you just heard, right? Like, like you think that it's hard to sell an idea or that people don't want good ideas or, or you've got a concept that it seems impossible. Like Jimmy Smith and, and company convinced the client to pay for someone to jump out of a plane without a parachute, without a wingsuit, nothing but a net. And if he didn't hit the net, he was done. I mean, like, like if that doesn't give you some inspiration for upping your game in terms of selling creative ideas, I, I don't know what, what, what can't. I, mean, that, <laughs> I want to emphasize this point. There was rhyme and reason for that idea for Stride Gum. There was rhyme and reason for it. It wasn't a willy-nilly. Their new gum, they were reformatting the gum, and they made it um, where it kind of did some intense stuff in your mouth when you ate it, when you chewed on the gum. Thus, their tagline was mad intense, stride gum, mad intense. So they needed an idea that was for damn sure intense to live up to what the promise was, right? Bonnie and Bo and Laura Henderson are the ones who pushed that thing through. And we presented it to Bonnie first. And he's like, yeah, you know, out of all of the no, no, no's, Bonnie sees it. And he goes, yeah, this would be great. It almost shocked me. I said, whoa. All right. <laughs> and gum sales increased. You have to do it not just for your own, like you were saying it earlier in the conversation, not for your own personal. Yes, you, you want to be excited about the idea. But at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, you have to present something, create something that is going to help your client make it do what it do. Whatever they, whatever the assignment is that they need for it to do, it's got to do that first and foremost. And a crazy idea like that did it. Ooh, what crazy ideas are you working on right now, my friend? We actually have an oil product that we hope to bring to the market at a certain point. So people say, oil, oh, oh man. The cool part about this is if every vehicle, whether it's a plane, whether it's a bus, a car, whatever, whatever, use this oil for fuel, there'd be no smog in Southern California. Extremely excited about that. I got grandsons and I don't want them breathing this crap that they're breathing. And, and I know the everybody's, we're hopeful to move to electric and hydrogen and whatever, but in between time, you can actually have clean oil. And then on top of that, it cleans up waste. So, you know, oil spills and all of that kind of stuff. So extremely excited about that. Then we're working with um, Tiffany Haddish on a couple of projects that I'm mad excited about. So should be a good year. Yeah, man. Yeah. So you're in the advertising game and, you know, and you've been in the advertising game. It is your game. And you've seen it change so much since 85. But where's it going? I mean, what, what does advertising look like? 20 years from now. I hope to believe that we're amusement park entertainment is the tip of the spear on where it's going. We'll, we'll see. But it's going back to the old school where take me out to the ball game, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. 
been singing that since I don't know that joint is a hundred years old. That's what I'm talking about. When you create content that becomes a part of culture, it never goes anywhere, right? So creating these things that in, in whether it's web three, in the metaverse, every single thing. I learned this from Lee Cloud. Every single thing for a brand, however it presents itself, wherever in the world it does, it can be. Yes, it can be an old school 30 second commercial. It can be a print ad. It can be an old school billboard, radio spot, whatever, whatever. But it can also be a movie. It can also be a TV show. It can also be a video game. It can be an NFT. It is limitless on how you connect with people and get your message out to people. And that's where it's headed, where brands are starting to understand it can be whatever we want it to be. <laughs> it can be anything. And, and if you think about it, it's, it's not new. Remember, and still to this day, but when JDI came out, Just Do It, and Scott did Just Do It, they slapped that sucker on T-shirts. Well, now everybody's a walking billboard, right? They're rocking Nike, Just Do It. That is an ad. When you buy that T-shirt and you're wearing that T-shirt, Whatever, whether it's is Nike on the T-shirt, Coca-Cola on the T-shirt, Apple, whatever, whatever the deal, you're a walking billboard. And I hadn't thought about it like that. It's so simple. Like, of course. So when people are talking about when the first Space Jam movie came out, go, gotta go see Space Jam. It's great. It's great. Well, that's a 90-minute ad that became a part of culture. Still to this day, the AJ-11s, are the most popular Jordan out of everything you've been making. They're on 30-something now. But the AJ-11s, because of Space Jam and because it's a dope shoe, shout out to Tinker Hatfield, is still the king. So that's where it's going back old school to where it can be a song, it can be whatever. That is an ad. And, and we don't look at, so when you say, you know, where is advertising going? We don't look at advertising. That's the other part of it. We don't look at it as I I hate advertising too. So I'm not going to give you something that's an ad. I'm going to give you something that can compete, Lord's willing, with anything that Steven Spielberg would do, anything that George Lucas and, you know, whoever, whoever, Michael Jackson or whatever, whatever that thing is, the job, obviously we don't hit it all the time, but the job is to compete with, that's why the entertainment at the end of the name, amusement park entertainment is it was you're rewarded for engaging with whatever that piece of content is. And you don't feel like, oh, geez, I, I'm watching the ad. I'm listening to an ad or I'm playing an ad. Nah. So, you know, here we are podcasting, right? I mean, what should brands be doing with podcasting? I mean, sure, they're buying ads and promoting and whatever. But I mean, you talk about making culture. I mean, what brands are leveraging podcasting in a truly innovative way? I'm thinking like, have you seen Winning Time? No. Winning time is the L.A. Lakers. Oh, the show on HBO. Show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I have seen the first two episodes. Fucking great. I'm just loving it. It's ridiculous. Well, they yeah. do a podcast of that joint. You can't get enough of that shit, right? You you want to, like, what? Was Jerry? Jerry West really like that? Yeah. <laughs> What's up with, with Pat Riley? And so on <laughs> and so forth. And they dig in deeper on the podcast. And what right. is that podcast? It, it gives you something that you want. It's like Jordan, the last, what is it? The last shot? What was it called? The last season? The last game? The last, no. Shit. It's the last, the last dance. The last dance. The last dance. Last dance. And shout out to Mike Tolan, one of the producers on that joint. But we want to see that. We want, we want to know more. We were gobbling it up. Well, you can't sit up there on a TV show. It's got to be a certain length and whatever, whatnot. And you can't dig all the way into the characters. You give them enough to, you know, communicate, make the show entertaining. But you want more. And that podcast that they're doing, uh, Rick Fox has a lot to do with it. It's dope, man. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. I have to check it out because I, you know, that is true. Like what I'm noticing, like with a lot of these movies and TV shows and stuff. They, these companion podcasts are now starting to roll out. And it's a really interesting because it's behind the scenes, maybe, or it's in depth or it's some sort of, you know, su supplemental storyline or whatever it is. And that's super good use of the podcast. You want to go, uh, go down the rabbit hole. Right. Exactly. I'm surprised exactly. there's not. There will be now after I say what I'm going to say. 
So this is the value <laughs> of ideas. There should be, is there a, a show revolving around podcasts? A show revolving around podcasts. There are lots of shows about podcasts. Depending on your particular flavor or take on it, I don't know. But yes, there there are lots of podcasts about how to how to be a better podcaster, the podcasting business. No, no, no. Uh, I mean like a, po- a sitcom. This is a podcast. Oh, oh, a show. Oh. oh. That's a far better idea, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. No, exactly. Uh, I haven't seen one that involves a podcast. Although I will say that the Sex and the City spinoff, just like that, Carrie's character, who, if you remember, she was a writer, uh, you know, uh, writing that column and stuff in this new sort of version uh, of the show, she is uh, podcasting. Okay. The podcasting game is in there as kind of a place to help drive the story forward. But seem like yeah, so way, it's all it's all happening. I mean, you know, it seemed like a way to exploit that was you'll remember the story. I can't remember. It's one of the famous guys. I don't think it wasn't Alfred Hitchcock, but it was one of those dudes from who did the you know when in when he did the Orson Welles did the Orson Mars Welles. attacks yeah, on the radio, right? Yeah, when he right. did that whole thing, we were being invaded by Martians and all that kind of stuff. There ought to be a podcast. <laughs> So, you know, not that, but it's a creative format. Anything, anything that you got a human being involved in and you got a mic and you got some film and you got sound, there's something dope to be made out of it. And I look at podcasts like, here you go, like when the movies first came out and you watch some of those old movies, what are you doing over there? And they were projecting like they did from the stage. And so they just plop up a camera and pretty much that was it as the the genre, the technology and understanding of, oh, this format doesn't have to be like that format. That's where I think we are with podcasts, figuring out that it doesn't have to be like that. Just because it's a podcast, uh, you could do like Orson Welles did. Well, it's radio, but I can take this to the next level. And, you know, that's where you freak people out. I think <laughs> made history, right? It's like, it's a canvas. Like what kind of art are you going to make? And then what kind of story do you want to tell? Well, Jimmy Smith, I tell you what, brother, you tell some good stories. I'm so grateful for you coming through. I mean, you are a busy man. You got a lot going on and you took time to come and talk with your boy, Scott, AKA sourdough here at the not real art podcast. I am grateful, brother. I am grateful. Uh, like I said, anytime dope to be here and we're talking Creative is is not like we're talking about something that's a pain in the ass. This is yeah. <laughs> how lucky are we, right? We get to get wake up every day and be creative. And yes, it is like with anything, you know, you got your you you take your lumps. You, there's there's all kinds of ups and downs. But you know what? We are the luckiest people because we just we've always done what we love to do, which is to make shit, make dope shit, as somebody said. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. That it sounds like one of the guys that we work with. His name is DC. Daryl Cobbin, and he's got his own company, Brand Positioning Doctors. And every time we get together with the client, he's introduced. I'll say my little thing, you know, music park entertainment, blah, 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 blah. And then it gets to him. He said, I'm DC, gives the peace sign. And like I like to tell everybody, I like to work with people who like to make dope shit. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much all he says about, about himself. And it's like, yeah, just boil it down. Uh, just yeah yeah let's just keep it simple people because you know what like what else is the why else be here why else do anything if it isn't going to be great you know when it ain't when it can't be great if it's not going to be great it's time to go home exactly exactly man exactly well jimmy smith you are my friend you are a great human being man i tell you i'm so grateful that our, our mutual friend scott bedberry has put us together i'm so encouraged about so many of the things that we're talking about and obviously, we'll catch up on, on all other fronts later. But I'm just, I knew that our audience would love hearing from you. Uh, you know, at the Not Real Art Podcast here, we talk to artists, we talk to designers, we talk to actors, we talk to writers, uh, creative leaders, creative professionals. And we haven't had a OG advertising VIP such as yourself. Well, you know, except for Scott Bedberry, which, of course, you know, you can't get much more VIP than that. He's for sure off the skillet. Let Excellent, my friend. Well, I tell you what, will you make me promise and come back to see us someday? Right on. Right on. That'd be dope. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, 
remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.